This is Workers' Comp Matters, hosted by attorney Alan S. Pierce, the only legal talk network program that focuses entirely on the people and the law in workers' compensation cases. Nationally recognized trial attorney, expert, and author, Alan S. Pierce is a leader committed to making a difference when workers' comp matters. Welcome to the Legal Talk Network. We're glad you could listen in to our show today on Workers' Comp Matters. I'm attorney Alan S. Pierce. I'm a lawyer. I practice law in Salem, Massachusetts. The name of my firm is Alan S. Pierce & Associates, where we focus primarily on representing injured workers and their families. We want to thank our audience for listening to our past shows here on Legal Talk Network. We, as you might realize, focus our topics uh, on the law of workers' compensation. As you probably know, there are many types of workers' compensation cases. What we want to talk about on today's program are issues surrounding the representation of the undocumented worker. This, as you might expect, is a very controversial topic on a lot of levels, including law and public policy. Some of the issues are to what extent are undocumented workers covered or not covered by workers' compensation laws, and does the law and public policy clash on the issue of undocumented workers working in the United States? Joining me today to help us sort all of this out is attorney Daniel Fix from Lincoln, Nebraska. Dan has a statewide practice almost exclusively in the area of workers' compensation and personal injury law. Dan has served as a special assistant attorney general for the state of Nebraska for workers' compensation compliance, and he's a member of many national organizations dedicated to improving the plight of injured workers. Dan is a member of the Workers' Injury Law and Advocacy Group, and he's also the author of Representing the Injured Worker, recently published by their um, journal. Welcome, Dan. Thank you for joining us today from the great state of Nebraska. Thank you, Alan. I appreciate you uh, inviting me to appear. Okay. Well, to start, Dan, uh, could you describe for us how the Federal Immigration and Reform Control Act might impact a state-based workers' compensation case? Well, primarily in, um, I believe it was March of 2002, a uh, decision by the name of Hoffman Plastics was uh, issued by the United States Supreme Court. And uh, what it did was, among other things, it uh, dealt with the Immigration Reform Control Act and the National Labor Relations Act. And the ultimate decision was a denial of some past wages for a gentleman who was an undocumented worker who had been terminated for engaging in some union uh, organization efforts. What's happened since Hoffman in March of 2002 is there have been a number of efforts, uh, cases that uh, we're starting to get more and more reported decisions where workers' comp uh, carriers and their attorneys are arguing that Hoffman would preclude, uh, by analogy at least, uh, under the Immigration Reform Control Act, uh, the award of benefits in workers' compensation cases. Let's talk a little bit about that. Hoffman, as you mentioned, was not a workers' comp case. It was a labor relations case involving the National Labor Relations Board. Uh, Tell us how the insurers are using the language in the decision of Hoffman to translate uh, those issues to the workers' compensation setting. Well, I think specifically uh, language in Hoffman... um, I am not in a position to be able to quote language from you, but in in summary, it uh, indicated that past due wages, that remedy that would normally be available for a worker uh, under the National Labor Relations Act, 
uh, would not apply to an undocumented worker because they had no legal status to earn wages. And so in workers' compensation matters, they're making the argument by analogy, it's the same situation. A number of uh, arguments specifically are being made that they're not a valid contract for hire, uh, that the person has no earning capacity due to their inability to work, uh, and, and some other pretty creative arguments. Okay. Well, let's pick up on that first one that you mentioned, because that goes right to the very foundation of entitlement to workers' compensation. Not only does there have to be an injury that arises out of and in the course of employment, but even before you get to that point, most workers' compensation statutes require that it applies only when there is an employer-employee relationship. That means when there was a contract of hire, either oral or written. Tell us how Hoffman and the rationale in Hoffman might impact whether or not there was ever a contract of hire. Well, I can tell you, Alan, that, that I think for the most part, I haven't seen uh, an exception, I don't believe, um, but courts are interpreting uh, generally their statutes to, to fairly broadly so that an, a contract for hire isn't limited to uh, specifically a uh, legal or a documented person. Uh, they're interpreting that much, bro- much more broadly uh, because usually the statutes just refer to uh, a worker. Uh, so it's, it's not an issue that I think defendants or employers or insurance companies are really succeeding on, at least in arguing that there was not a contract for hire. Are they taking the position and distinguishing between undocumented workers who may mislead the potential employer and become hired by providing a false social security number and other false documents as opposed to cases where the employer is complicit and knows that the employer is hiring a workforce or a worker that is not legally allowed to work in in Massachusetts in the jurisdiction? I haven't specifically seen a reported decision um, that made that distinction. Uh, It would seem to me, just on a personal, uh, in a personal opinion, that uh, the public policy arguments would be all the more um, solid for the situation where the employer knows of the undocumented status prior to the uh, employment relationship. And I I think in your article you cited a case uh, out of the state of Georgia. Uh, The citation is Dynasty Sample versus Beltran, where the court was presented by the with the argument that the false statements uh, by workers regarding their immigration status did not make the contract of hire avoidable to exclude coverage. Um, under what rationale would the court have to reject that argument? It seems to me that the... And there have been some cases that have decided this way or, or mentioned, discussed the issue, that in order to make that contract for hire void or in order to deny benefits or coverage under the Works Compensation Act to an undocumented worker, there would have to be some connection actually between the fraudulent misrepresentation in the contract for hire and the actual injury. And I can't imagine many situations where there would be a direct link between uh, false information like that and then the actual injury itself. Could you make an analogy that uh, injuries to undocumented workers might be in the same uh, general area as, for example, injuries to 
children that violate the uh, child labor laws where the child may misrepresent his or her age to become hired and then suffers an injury that the so-called quote illegality close quote of the of the hiring should not um, exclude coverage if there's a, a work injury yes i think you could make that analogy um i like that that point or that argument um the relationship between the un or the i guess improper hiring of a minor uh where the court still generally will find uh, coverage under workers compensation act and also will enforce wage laws and do you also find as a practitioner of workers comp that uh, one of the beauties of the system of workers compensation is that it was designed as remedial social legislation to protect uh, workers who are injured uh, especially where their tort rights are abrogated by a workers comp statute and the courts and even the high courts will bend somewhat to provide coverage rather than exclude it? I think that's a fair statement. Uh, as you pointed out, you're going to beat me to the punch, but uh, injured workers uh, by statute have given up their tort remedy uh, for the most part with very narrow exceptions. Um, and so I think the courts or industrial boards do tend, in my experience and in my research, to try to stretch to some extent the uh, coverage of the act uh, for, for the beneficent purposes of the uh, workers' compensation law. In fact, I think the old axiom, uh, you know, what you wish for, you may get. Uh, if an employer is successful in defending a compensation claim on the grounds of uh, immigration status or lack thereof, that employer might indeed be exposing himself to a tort suit because uh, there seems to be no indication that undocumented workers uh, lose their rights to sue in a court of law. That is correct. That is correct. Um, specifically, <clears throat> um, I'm shifting gears on you a little bit, but uh, when it comes to, there's a case out of the Texas Court of Appeals wherein an undocumented uh, worker uh, was able to bring a tort suit against, uh, I believe it was Tyson Food Processing, and in that instance, he was awarded, among other things, I think about a quarter of a million dollars for future lost earnings. Um, and in that case, uh, the argument, Hoffman had been relied on, Erka had been relied on, and ultimately that case uh, was, was affirmed uh, upon appeal. And uh, this gentleman, although undocumented, did collect for past wages and future lost earning power. It wasn't specifically a workers' compensation case, but... Uh, it does apply to that future benefit of lost earning power. I haven't seen a specifically a uh, workers' comp case address that issue yet. Okay. The title of your article was Representing the Undocumented Injured Worker, and merely establishing that worker's right to benefit seems to be pretty much a foregone conclusion. Most jurisdictions, as you point out, will allow for benefits even if there was fraudulent misrepresentation. But what are some of the other problems that you as counsel might have representing injured workers uh, once the claim is established? Or let's take the flip side. What problems does the insurance company have defending or limiting a claim for benefits for an undocumented worker? Well, depending depending upon uh, your jurisdiction, uh, in Nebraska, for example, we are required to provide Social Security numbers with the petition or the, the document that starts uh, any litigation. 
Additionally, we're required to provide that information to the court if we're seeking vocational rehabilitation. And it seems to me that the, uh, there's an ethical issue to be addressed if you are knowingly providing false information to the court, uh, however that might come up, whether it's in uh, seeking voc- vocational rehabilitation uh, as an officer of the court providing false information, information that you know is false. It seems to me to be a, an ethical concern. What about the concern of the injured worker? Is, is there a legitimate fear of running afoul of the Immigration and Naturalization Service and or deportation? Is that, well, is, is that freezing a lot of claims from even being brought? Sadly, I think that it is. I know um, in my own experience um, and in speaking with other uh, attorneys in, in this jurisdiction that there are a number of uh, legitimate, very uh, serious workers' comp claims that are not being brought or that maybe are getting resolved for less than what their value otherwise would be because an injured worker just does not want to uh, run the risk of of maybe running into trouble um, on immigration issues. Which brings up uh, the point you touched on in one of your earlier answers, and that is vocational retraining. How do you retrain a worker who legally cannot be hired in the newly trained uh, field. Is that a problem? It is a problem. It is a problem. Um, One interesting thought that uh, may be a stretch, but one thought that I had was if you had, as an example, an injured worker uh, who suffered serious injuries, uh, would it be possible, in theory at least, to retrain them for uh, employment in their home country? Uh, that's a possibility. Now, in addition to those problems that we've discussed, establishing the right to benefits and uh, vocational or return-to-work issues, do you frequently run into issues, for example, as to the proper workers' compensation rate? Are these undocumented workers being paid on the books? Are they more commonly off the books? How do you figure the average wage to figure their weekly rate? Well, yeah, that's a very uh, fact-specific question. If they are being paid on the books, uh, I think it's pretty, pretty uh, simple um, within your statutory framework. If you're able to document a wage history, if they are paid off the books and a cash rate, uh, I can see situations where you're going to have a dispute or could have a dispute as to what the person really was making. But uh, I suppose those are issues very spe- fact-specific. Now, one of the um, arguments that you recite in your article has to do with the public policy argument that's been advanced by employers that by providing workers' compensation benefits, you would be, and I'm just going to put the word in quotes, rewarding undocumented workers by awarding them workers' comp benefits. Uh, how do you deal with that argument? You know, that, that argument, I think, is by and large a loser. It's been made a lot and routinely in the reported cases, but the courts will typically turn that argument on its head and say, well, the reward is really to the employer. If we deny coverage, the reward is really to the employer, and we are going to encourage potentially actually the hiring uh, or the preference in hiring of undocumented workers, which, of course, would be in violation or contrary to the IRCA, the Immigration Reform Control Act, which makes the hiring of undocumented workers illegal. Now, are there distinctions in degree of 
uh, lack of documentation? Are there workers that are here uh, clearly and plainly under the radar screen and uh, as opposed to others that are issued some type of taxpayer identification number and despite their status are able to file uh, tax returns, et cetera? Uh, to be honest with you, Alan, I have not seen a court-reported decision that has really focused on that uh, that distinction. It just hasn't been an issue that I've seen a court discuss. Okay. Dan, we are going to take a quick break. We're going to come back uh, in a couple of moments, and we're going to talk further with Dan Fix. We're also going to uh, have our case of the day as we put uh, Dan to the test, so to speak. We'll be right back. Want to know more about Legal Talk Network host and attorney Alan S. Pierce? He's nationally known for his expertise in workers' comp and the law. Appointed by two governors to the State Workers' Compensation Advisory Council on the editorial board of the Journal of Workers' Compensation, leading lawyers across the country with a commitment beyond passion. Find out more about Attorney Pierce on the Legal Talk Network website under About Us. Workers' Comp Matters with Attorney Alan S. Pierce is produced right here at the Legal Talk Network by a staff of professional news broadcasters. We're the only ones who can provide the best quality shows with the latest legal news, talk, and information in an interactive format you won't find anywhere else. Welcome back to Workers' Comp Matters, where we are discussing workers' comp cases and the law. I'm attorney Alan Pierce. We think you'll find this and other shows interesting. Joining me today is attorney Daniel Fix from Lincoln, Nebraska. Dan is an expert in the field of workers' comp cases with special regard to representing undocumented workers. Thanks again for being here on the Legal Talk Network. Uh, we're going to change gears a bit, and uh, Dan, we have a feature called Case of the Day, and I'm going to give you the case, and we'll talk about it a little bit, and you Give us your opinion as to how this case resolved. Today's case comes to us from the Oklahoma Supreme Court. It's a case of Gray versus Ultramar Diamond. Uh, Dan, Joe Gray hurt his back in the course of his employment working for the Ultramar Diamond Company. He ruptured a disc, and it was determined that he needed back surgery. However, his doctors felt he could not withstand lengthy back surgery without replacing a pacemaker, which had been installed years before, as a result of a non-work-related cardiac condition. Well, wouldn't you know that during the heart operation to replace the pacemaker, Joe died. His widow filed a claim for workers' compensation benefits, and the Oklahoma Workers' Compensation Court denied on the grounds that Joe's death did not arise out of and in the course of his employment. This denial was affirmed by a three-judge panel and the appellate court. Joe's widow uh, persevered and appealed the case to the Oklahoma Supreme Court. How do you think they ruled? I think they probably ruled in favor of Joe's widow. Well, you're absolutely right. The Oklahoma Supreme Court reversed the denial of benefits, and they discussed what we call the chain of causation, and I'm sure you deal with it uh, almost on a daily basis uh, in terms of what is connected to the industrial injury. And the Supreme Court of Oklahoma looked at the facts of this case, and they held that the chain of causation was not broken especially where the expert medical testimony in this case indicated that if it were not for the work injury, Joe would not have had to have the pacemaker replaced and uh, would not have had to undergo the pacemaker surgery and therefore would not have died. 
I think they reached the right result. I'm actually quite surprised that the Workers' Compensation Court and two appellate bodies found the other way, but I think you'll agree with me. The court in Oklahoma finally got it right. I think that's right, Alan. Dan, do you have any closing thoughts on the issues that we were talking about today, the problems and challenges of representing the undocumented worker or any interesting case that you've had that you could share with us? Well, you know, I do have some some, some thoughts about it, uh, Alan. It seems to me that as these cases have developed since post-Hoffman, since early 2002, by and large, uh, coverage has been uh, extended to uh, undocumented workers, certainly for medical care and also for temporary disability benefits or wage replacement. The uh, gray area or the, the where we don't really have answers, uh, areas that we don't have answers at this time, are with respect to those future benefits, the future lost earning, the permanent impairment for uh, as, uh, as resulted from the, the uh, injuries. Additionally, we have the big issue of vocational rehabilitation uh, with IRCA and Hoffman. Uh, it's really an issue that's up in the air. Well, I agree with you. And for those of uh, you out there that have cases that are either being advanced or defended and involves undo- undocumented workers, I uh, urge you to both uh, Dan's article representing the undocumented injured worker that appears in the Workers' First Watch magazine published by Willig, the Workers' Injury Litigation Group, I also would refer you folks out there to a Massachusetts workers' comp decision. It's a reviewing board decision. It's Medellin, M-E-D-E-L-L-I-N versus Cashman. It's a December 2003 decision of the Massachusetts Department of Industrial Accidents. You could go on their website, and you could link to the reviewing board decisions in December of 2003. It is a 20-page decision which summarizes uh, the case law around the country, it upholds the right of undocumented workers such as Mr. Medlin to collect workers' compensation benefits, and it remains the law in Massachusetts and the law in pretty much every other jurisdiction. Dan, I want to thank you for joining us this afternoon to discuss this important topic. And for those of you out there, we hope you'll join us for another Workers' Comp Matters show, some other important topics that we cover our Medicare set-aside allocations in workers' comp cases, latex allergies in the workplace. Hope you'll join us soon for these shows. Thanks for listening today. I'm attorney Alan Pierce. Hope you go out and make it a day that matters. Thanks for listening to Workers' Comp Matters today on the Legal Talk Network. Hosted by attorney Alan S. Pierce, where we try to make a difference in workers' comp legal cases for people injured at work. Be sure to listen to other Workers' Comp Matters shows on the Legal Talk Network, your only choice for legal talk. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Som. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.